You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. We are continuing with the laws of good midos we discussed previously to get close to the righteous because you are an influ- you are always influenced by your environment you're always influenced by your environment so now the halacha continues here and this, we're talking here this is the kitzur shochanarch which is the abridged version of the shochanarch and he's bringing an entire chapter of the laws of proper character and because we are in these 49 days between Pesach and Shavuot, where we are trying to work on perfecting our character day by day, being more patient, being more kind, being more friendly, being more loving, doing everything we possibly can to enhance our character. So therefore, we're learning these special laws of Midos. We know it's a nice thing not to get angry. No, 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 no. It's more than just a nice thing. It's halacha, the, the Torah t- teaches us how to conduct our lives appropriately. So now we're up to halacha 12. Mitzvah al kol adam, it is a mitzvah on every person to love each and every Jew as he loves himself. Do you love yourself, David? Yeah, I think so. We all love our- ourselves and we love ourselves a tremendous amount. Why? Because we're very close to ourselves. We know ourselves very well. We know when we're tired. We know when we're hungry. We know when we're thirsty. We know when we need the restroom. We know everything about ourselves. But do we have the same care and concern for someone else? Well, I'm not them. I don't know. To love someone like you love yourself is really becoming dedicated, committed, and and fully, fully engaged in the other person fully engaged in what is the other person experiencing, not just myself. Shenemar, this is a commandment to the Torah. We spoke about this last week in the Torah portion. You should love your fellow as yourself. Therefore, therefore, one must recount his fellow's praises. And care for his property. Just as he cares for his own property. And he seeks for his own honor. And one who derives honor from his fellow's shame, so meaning someone who becomes popular by mocking his friend, by laughing at his friend, and everyone's like, ah, funny guy, good guy. You know, you, you always have a good joke, and it's on the expense of someone else. It's on the expense of someone else. Even if his fellow is not present and is not aware of what occurred, and thus was not actually embarrassed publicly, he was embarrassed because all the people are going to have a snarky feeling towards him. And he didn't explicitly shame his fellow. But merely listed his own deeds and wisdom. Or if a person, instead of mocking his fellow, not in front of him, he just says, I don't know about him, but I can tell you that I, you know, and he goes on to say all of his great deeds. And he does side by side with his fellow's deeds or wisdom, you know, all the books that I've written, 
all the songs that I've composed and all of the great places I've lectured. I argued in front of the Supreme Court. I wonder if the other fellow did. You know, whatever comparison someone is trying to do. In order that it be deduced by contrast that he is honorable while his fellow is contemptible. Such a person has no portion in the world to come unless he repents completely. So that means that what the way the Shulchan Aruch is giving us here a tip of how to overcome this. You know how? Always sing the praise of your fellow. You see somebody, say something nice to them. Yeah, that's a nice shirt. Those are nice glasses. That's a nice car. You always have a beautiful smile. Whatever a person is able to do to compliment another person, do that. Why? Because sometimes we resort to other ways of gaining attention. And that's not such a good thing. We should be in the business of always bringing out the good in others. Always. Um, I want to share with you a story. There is a great man. His name is Ramata Frank. Ramata Frank is a rabbi. He's a Breslov Chassid. And uh, he was here in Houston a few months ago. And he said the following story at my Shabbos table. He said that there was a young boy, not young, but a teenager, who had grown up in a religious home and was rebellious and left the path of Torah and mitzvahs. And he somehow met with Rav Mata Frank. And the rabbi, Rabbi Frank, invited him for Shabbos. And it's not like he's never been to a Shabbos meal. He's been to a Shabbos meal. But this kid, being the rebellious kid that he was, had a little plan of what he was going to do at that Shabbos table. So they're sitting in the middle of the meal, and while everyone is singing, everyone is all excited, the delicious foods, and his phone rings. And this guy in the middle of a, you know, a meal, a Shabbos meal with a religious family, with many guests, with many people, picks up his phone right in front of the whole yeah, at least take it aside. Something he picks it up in front of the whole thing. He says, Hey, sweetheart, how are you? And he's talking to his girlfriend. And eventually he just walks away from the table. And the rabbi, rabbi told me the story. And he says, I, I was in total shock. Like, what do I tell the guy? I mean, this is a little bit unacceptable. You should have a little bit of a decency, a little bit of a Something, a sensitivity, you're at a table, still a Shabbos table, to pick up your phone like that. So the guy ended up walking to his room that he was staying in, in, in the rabbi's house. And the rabbi gets up from the Shabbos table and he decides he's going to go to his room, to this boy's room. And he didn't know what he's going to say. Before he knocks on the door, he turns to heaven and he says, Hashem, I need you to put the words in my mouth. I need you to put the words in my mouth. He knocks on the door. And the kid opens up the door. The rabbi says to him, I want you to know something. You have no idea how much Hashem loves you. And you have no idea how much I love you. Come, let me give you a hug. And the boy got so angry. 
he got so angry. He says, this was a setup. He says, I told my girlfriend to call right in the middle of the meal because I was expecting for you to throw me out and say, don't ever walk into my house again like that. And then I'll have a reason to never be at a Shabbos table again. I'll have a reason to leave. I'll have a reason to be disgruntled. I'll have a reason to be angry. But now you're giving me a hug and you're telling me how much you love me and how much God loves me. It's a true story. Very clearly, this individual turned his life around and uh, became a committed Jew to Shabbos and to the values but you see what a positive word can do. Many people, if someone cuts you off on the street, right? people can get all flared up and excited and road rage. Who do you think you are? You know what? What would happen if you said, you know what? Please make my day. Go, go, cut me off. It's no problem. No problem. Take all the time you want. Suddenly they, you know, it, there's a different attitude. There's a different attitude. I think it's a frame of mind that we need to adjust. We need to adjust the way we see things. We need to adjust the way we perceive the world around us. We need to open up our heart with love to everyone. And the more we can, the more we do that, the more love there'll be around us. On the other hand, someone who says something negative about another person if a person says, God forbid, Lashon Hara, he mocks someone else, he talks down about somebody else, it's never going to be good. It's never going to bring about love. It's never going to bring about joy. Someone who is angry is someone who is sad. Someone who's in pain. The anger is just a result of that pain. You know what? If they embarrassed someone publicly and someone was ashamed because of the mockery, it's not a simple thing. It's something to be very, very concerned about and and worried about. Because you could lose your entire world to come. All of the good deeds that you do are, are thrown out because of the embarrassment you cause someone else. The person who's being mocked, do they appreciate it? You know, wherever a person finds the greatest challenge is where there's the most opportunity. We have the most challenge is the most opportunity. So, halacha number 13. Anyone who hates a Jew in his heart, over belosase, transgresses a negative commandment in the Torah as it states, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. What does that mean? That means if someone wronged you, he may not harbor hatred against the man and remain silent. As it says about the wicked, It says in Samuel, that Avshalom did not speak to Amnon, neither bad nor good, for Avshalom hated Amnon. Hated him with such a passion. Oh, he's at the event? I'm not going. I don't want to see his face. There's such a hatred 
Rather, it is incumbent and it is a mitzvah upon him to inform the other person of his grievance. So, and to say to him, Loma Why did you do such and such to me? And why did you wrong me in this matter? This is the proper course of action that the Torah commands us to do. As the Torah states, You shall rebuke and reprove your fellow. And if the offender subsequently begs forgiveness from him, he has to forgive him. The loyach zarin should not be cruel and withhold forgiveness. Shenemar veispal Avram Elohim, and Avram prayed to God on behalf of Avimelech for forgiveness. What is he saying here? It's an amazing thing. Let me tell you a story. So we know that there are people who are very proud of their skills. I'll give you an example: someone who is a carpenter. He's a carpenter. Your neighbor is a carpenter, and they make uh, cabinets. And your friends, you come all they come go. They come to your house. You go to their house. Barbecues. You know, you have a good time. And then you replace your kitchen, all of your cabinets, and you don't call your neighbor to do the job. Right? You can feel very hurt. He's very proud of how of of his his craftsmanship. He's happy, he's proud of what a great job he always does. And here, his best friends, his neighbors, don't even hire him. He'd be very hurt. I'll tell you a true story that happened. There was a man in our neighborhood who was a moil. He doesn't live in, in the community anymore. I said this story in the past. He was a moil, and he had hope that people in the community would hire him to do the circumcision for their child on the eighth day. And there was one individual who did a bris on Shabbos, I believe it was. And instead of hiring the mole who was in town, he flew in someone from out of town, had to set him up, do the whole spiel, right? And he was very upset about it. So one day, and I was there, I was standing right there. He says, there's a commandment in the Torah not to hate your fellow in your heart. So I need to get it out of my heart. He says, you have no idea my disdain, my hatred, the pain you caused me for not hiring me to do the bris for your son. So why does the Torah command for this to happen? Why does the Torah command for this? It's such an amazing commandment. It's such a beautiful commandment. You know why? Because if you keep it in your heart, you'll never find out the truth. You see, the basic premise is that most people are reasonable, decent, good people. Most people. Would anybody over here go out of their way to harm someone? No. Go out of my way to harm someone? No way. I have, I have better things to do with my life. So if someone is so hurt that they feel that I went out of my way to harm them, I have to explain to them what really happened what my thought process was, what I was thinking, give them an opportunity to clarify. So the individual responded to this mail and he says, first is, I, I'm so sorry, this wasn't a personal thing. 
says, what you may not have known is that this Moil is my first cousin. The guy I brought in is my first cousin. We're best friends. We learned together in yeshiva. It wasn't that I didn't want you. I would have taken you. But this first cousin of mine, how would he feel if I didn't call him for my son's bris? So he says, okay, I, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Sorry for accusing you. You know, and, and then they became very close friends. So what the Torah is commanding us to do is don't keep it to yourself. Find a way to talk it out with your fellow. Find a way to talk it out with your fellow. Be open. Now, does that mean that you can just start yelling and screaming at them? You should be angry. No, 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 no. And we'll see in a minute that the halacha tells us from the Torah that we have to. There's a mitzvah in the Torah to rebuke and reprove our fellow. And we're going to hear the qualifications from it, the qualification that we've heard so many times in our class. So it says, you shall reprove your fellow. But of us, Rabbi Nason. In Avos of Rab it says, What constitutes hatred of people? This teaches us that one should not accustom oneself to say, love the sages but hate the students, or love the students but hate the common folk. Rather, love them all. A person should be, be in the habit, oh, I love... I've had people tell me this all the time. They say, you're religious, you're normal. You're a normal one. But everybody else, they're all crazies. Right? That's what I, I had someone someone tell me. He says, yeah, all the religious Jews are crazy. They're all a little, little crazy. You're normal. Why isn't everyone normal like you? People make that assumption. It's not. That's not good. I, I still have people regularly, I'm very obviously complimented by this somewhat, maybe. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be. They say, you're the only normal rabbi. <laughs> what do you mean? There are a lot of normal rabbis out there. Why? Why? Awesome rabbi. Thank you. No, but no, but seriously, it, it, there's, there's a little bit of an, of an issue that people are willing to say, you know, I like some of them, but not all of them. The idea, what the Torah says is not love only some of them. Love all all of them, all of humanity. Oh, if you're my race, if you're from my company, if you're from my neighborhood, if you're from my state, if you vote like I vote, then I love you. It doesn't qualify that in the Torah. It says, love your fellow like yourself. Everyone who's considered your fellow. Ella, Rather, love them all. The only ones that we're obligated to hate are the heretics, those who instigate others to sin, and those who lead others astray from the Torah, as well as those who inform upon others to the authorities. So, someone who is, it's called in the halach, it's called a moser, someone who reports on others. That's not your business. You shouldn't be going reporting other people to the authorities unless obviously someone's a criminal and a danger to the, to the public. But um, just, you know, you know something, someone shared with you something privately, 
and you go report that, that's that's inappropriate. Torah forbids that. Forbids that. And so too did King David say, those who hate you, Hashem, I hate them. And I quarrel with those who rise up against you. With the utmost hatred, I hate them. I regard them as my own enemies, meaning that someone is willing to stand up for what's right and what's wrong. I stand with God. That's my position. Those who love God, I love. Those who hate God, I hate. I'm on team God. God. And that's the way one needs to conduct themselves. And this is what it says. You shall love your fellow as yourself. And it says immediately following that, I am Hashem. Why does it say that? Ki ani barasiv, because I, Hashem, created them. Thus, if he acts in consonance with the conduct of your people and follows the will of Hashem, you shall love him. And if not, you shall not love him. So when is the obligation to love someone? When they follow the will of Hashem. When they're following the basic guidelines of humanity. Someone is a thief, you have no obligation to love them. Now that doesn't mean that you should start yelling and screaming at them. That might not be so fruitful. It might not bring you the results you want. But a person should dedicate their lives to to the righteousness that God wants. Okay. Allah continues. It is prohibited for a person to appeal for judgment from heaven against his fellow who wronged him. So someone did something bad to you. You turn to heaven, you say, God, strike him. God, I hope he loses his job. I hope he loses his money. I hope he, you know, this arrogant son of a gun, I cannot believe he did that to me. He stole my deal. Right? He kicked me out of the company. I hope he goes bankrupt. No, 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 no. You shouldn't pray for the downfall of your fellow, for someone who wronged you even. This prohibition, however, applies only if he has recourse to attain justice here on earth. Otherwise, it is permitted. And anyone who cries out to Hashem about his fellow, but be careful. If you cry out against your fellow, do you know who gets punished first? You. Why? Because what, what happens? You're saying, God, this person did something terrible. Hold him accountable. So God says, you know what? It's a good idea. Let me open up your book first, though, and let me hold you accountable. Ooh, that, that's not a place we want to be in. We don't want to be in a place, because, and, and by the way, we spoke about this a lot, about judging people favorably, that if you judge others unfavorably, you'll be judged unfavorably. If you judge others favorably, you'll be judged favorably. The way in which you project yourself to the world is the way you'll be projected. Okay? That's the way you'll be seen by others. If you are kind to others, others will be kind to you. So it says, If people like you, people are satisfied with you, God will be satisfied with you. God will be pleased with you. So he says, be careful about crying to the heavens against somebody else because you'll be punished first. It also says, 
it says that if you pray for your fellow, you'll be answered first as well. Because God says, whoa, 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 one second. You're asking me to help your fellow. What's about you? Did I take care of you properly? Well, let me give you first, and then I'll give you a friend. So if you're looking for a job and someone else is looking for a job, you're looking for a spouse and someone else is looking for a spouse, pray for them. Because if you pray for them to succeed, God will succeed your way first. Very powerful. The Yeshomrim, but there are others who say that even if he cannot attain justice here on earth, it is nevertheless prohibited to beseech Hashem about his offender unless he first informed him and attempted to sell, settle the matter without resorting to heavenly intervention. First, deal with it yourself. Talk to the person directly and try to resolve the matter yourself. Number 15. One who sees his fellow sin. Or if he sees his friend going in an improper path. So you see your friend going into a bad place. You see them going there. Or you are um, witness to your friend acting in a way that's inappropriate. It is, the person is commanded to bring him back to the proper way. And to inform him that he is sinning with his evil deeds. Shenema, as the verse states, the same commandment we mentioned previously, you shall reprove, rebuke, your fellow, and do not bear a sin because of him. Why does the verse add that? Do not bear a sin because of him. Because now, let's say, let's say, someone does something that they don't realize is a sin. They don't realize it's a sin. So, now, you have two options. You can tell them about it, or you cannot tell them. If you don't tell them about it, they'll continue doing it. But if you do tell them about it, now they know that what they're doing is wrong. They have knowledge of that. Okay. However, if you tell it to them in the wrong way and they continue to do it, now it's your fault. Because now they're doing it intentionally. Right? So it's a big pickle you're in. Like, what do I do? I see the person is, is, is cheating on his taxes. I got to say something. I got to say something. Guess what? You have to find a way to say it that he will accept it. You have to say it in a way that he'll accept it. One who rebukes his fellow, whether concerning an issue between the two of them or an issue between the fellow and God and his creator, he must rebuke him privately so as not to shame him. And he should talk with him gently and in a soft-spoken manner. Viodio and inform him, She'eno omer lo elotovoso. He should inform him that he's only talking to him only for his own good. I don't get anything out of this. I'm doing this because I love you. I care about you. And I don't want you to harm yourself. And I don't want you to do the wrong, I don't want, you know, in order to bring him to the eternal life in the world to come. And one may not absolve himself from this obligation. 
for whoever has the capacity to protest and does not protest is held responsible for the sin as well. So if you could have said something, okay, give you an example. Your child, uh, your child does something wrong. Someone sees it. You don't know about it. Okay. And now your child did something wrong and got hurt from it. So now that person who could have told you something is in a way held accountable. God forbid. Why? You could have alerted me. But instead you kept your mouth shut and you didn't say anything. That's the same with any sin. If a person does something that could have been avoided had you opened up your mouth and said something, now you're held accountable because you didn't say anything. So is, doesn't that qualify for, as you're saying, as making someone a busybody? And mind your own business, you nosy, right? Nobody needs to, right? It's not your business. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I actually saw this. Uh, it happened to me, actually. So my, I was in, in one of these supermarkets, and an elderly person who happened to have been my neighbor at the time uh, came over to me and he says, you know, I would hate to see that child fall out of that wagon and hit his head on the floor, on the concrete. So is it his business? It's definitely not his business, right? And that's what you would say. He's, what are you being a nosy body, right? What are you? But the truth is that had the kid fallen out and he not said a word, right? You know, the kids sometimes don't sit in the wagon on the top. They sit inside the thing and they're jumping around. You know, you get high, hyper kids. They're great. So he's just bringing it to my attention. You know what? He's 100% right. It's not his business. That's true. But it is his business. Because if someone really cares about you, they'll also find a way to say it that is loving, that is kind, that is gentle, not in a way that's obnoxious, hurtful, offensive, or the like. All right? So it's, it's important. The intention is very, very important, as we'll see in the coming paragraph. You are very good, very good. Here we're going to continue in the next paragraph, and you're going to see it. You're going to see it in the next paragraph. When does this requirement to rebuke one's fellow apply? As long as he assumes that he will listen to him. But if he is certain that he will not listen to him, it is forbidden to rebuke him. That's what the Talmud says. Rabbi Lai said in the name of Rabbi Shimon. Just as there is a mitzvah for a person to say words of rebuke that will be accepted, so too there is a mitzvah for a person not to say words of rebuke that will not be accepted. Rabbi said, Chova, it is in fact an obligation not to offer such words if you know that they will fall on deaf ears. So what's the obvious question that everyone asks? How do you know? How do you know? How am I supposed to know if my words are going to be heard? So there are a couple of things. First is you have to know the person well enough. If you don't know, if you don't know the person well enough, you definitely have no business criticizing them. Right? Your neighbor, it's not your business how they educate your, their child. Right? And you know what? If they're doing a terrible job, it's still not your business. Now, if they're endangering their children, that is your business. 
But if they're just doing bad parenting, why is that your business? Okay, but here's the thing. Let's talk about a husband and a wife. If a husband and a wife who hopefully love each other, one sees a flaw in the other, you need to be very cautious, very careful, because you love the person. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to offend them. To really, really want it for their sake. And that's, it's a lot of work to, to, to get there. Is it, am I just criticizing them because it bothers me? Or am I criticizing them because I want them to be the best version of themselves or whatever excuse you give? And a person needs to really, really, really feel that. If a person really feels with all their heart, you know what, I love this person so much and I'm afraid that if they, if I don't correct them, they're going to have a big blunder sometime in public that's going to be very hurtful to them. It can only be said with love. It can only be said with compassion and care and concern. And that way it might be heard. In the best case scenario, it might. But there's a way to do it. First is never, ever criticize someone out of anger. Never criticize someone in the moment. What does that mean in the moment? Right now, something happens. I'm going to say, you know, you're, you're an awful driver. Right? It can be offensive right now. You're in the middle of driving, you know. Now, you can say, I'll tell you, I, you know, there's a big discussion, and we can have this as an open discussion here, okay? Here's the honest, uh, okay, an, an honest discussion. And my friends on uh, YouTube and, uh, and on Twitch who are watching now, uh, please share your comments here. I'd love to hear what you think. So what's if your spouse cooks dinner for you and it's awful? It's awful. Should you tell them or should you not tell them? Should you tell them or should you not tell them? So here's the thing. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a story. So there was a great rabbi who passed away many years ago. And, and not sorry, his wife passed away. And you know, the first Shabbos after his wife passed away, one of the children or the children-in-law said, Oh, I'm gonna make you the same food that your wife made. He's like, No, no, please, please, no more, no more, no more. Meaning. He suffered, poor guy suffered for 50, 60 years. He was married to this woman and never told her that this food that she made was awful. So some people think like, wow, such a righteous guy. But the question is, wouldn't the wife want to know? She would want to please her husband. She would want to know if he didn't like the food. So it's a big discussion as to what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? So let me see. We'll go around the table here. John says you eat her food and smile. And of course, say thank you, I'm sure. Okay, Any other, anybody else have any opinion? Yes, what do you say? Okay, so you have to tell her the way you tell her. So it's very interesting. I took once a survey at a group of women, and we, it was a woman's class, and we, I asked them all. I said, what would you like your husband to do? Every single woman, 100% said, I want my husband to tell you, but he better be careful how he says it. Everyone was like, you know, it's all in how you say it. Because if you say it the wrong way, uh, chop, chop, okay? 
So I made a dish my husband didn't like. He ate it, but later said, "Be okay if he didn't have it again." Okay, that's that's okay. That's nice. Um, so I'll tell you that every person needs to know their spouse. Now, now it's a real question. What would you What would you say? What What would you if you? But but if you cooked something that wasn't uh, to his liking, would you want him to tell you straight out or be be gentle and? Be, it could be nice about it. Yeah, okay, okay. So we, we, we agree on that. And this wasn't my taste. Right, okay, beautiful. So, so okay, but, but again, I wouldn't do it at the dinner table still, okay? I would wait a week or two. And so, so let, me, let me tell you a story, okay? I was at my friend's house uh, a few weeks after he got married. And his wife... It was very. There was. They were very excited that a bunch of us guys, you know, were friends for years, and you know, we all came over for a meal, and she cooked the meal, and it, it was, it was literally inedible. It was inedible. I'm, I'm not kidding. And I, I can, I can take it. You know, I can. It was inedible. It was like under, under no circumstances can anyone eat it. So. So I, I will tell you, her husband is a real righteous man. He's a real righteous man. So she she was in the kitchen and he he tasted it and he knew this was this was really bad. So he 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 ate his very quickly, and while she was in the in the kitchen, he swapped plates with everybody that was there and kept on eating it. And he was like, everyone loves it. It was so amazing. There's nothing left already, and and he had it all. Okay. And it was it was like, to me, it was a sign of absolute selflessness. It was absolute selflessness. And he kept on sending compliments to the kitchen. This is amazing. This is amazing, right? Okay. Now, the question is, what's if 10 years later or 50 years later, she finds out that this was like the worst dish ever and and that he was, he was not, not being genuine about this. So here's the thing. You know, there's, there's a way to say everything. You can say everything, but there's a way to say it. So we can share a few ideas. First is sometimes knowing the person, you got to just hold it in for, for a long time. But there's some people who really genuinely would want to know. So there's a way to do it, which I found, which is now my wife is a fat, fabulous cook, so I don't have this challenge. But there's been, I think, maybe one time that my wife made something. It's just not my, I don't eat that kind of food. It's not my style, whatever. So... I did like three or four weeks later when she made a really superb dinner. So I said, this was like the best dinner I've ever had in my life. And I said, you know what? If you ever have a question of whether or not you want to do this dinner or that dinner from three weeks ago, right? I'll take this dinner any night. And like, it was a compliment on this one. She's like, well, you didn't like that one? I said, it was okay, but this one is like just amazing. This is like unbelievable this is like you know so it was it was a compliment with a informing of my preference i might have to take this off of uh youtube but but the idea here is the idea is like this is that we don't want to hurt anybody we don't want to hurt anybody we don't want to insult anybody we don't want anyone to cry themselves to sleep we don't want anyone to be to be offended because we're being honest to you. You want me to be honest with you, right? So let me tell you, that food was awful, right? No, that's not the right way to do things. It, it, but you can say, look, if there's a dress that you don't like, you can say, I prefer this dress 
much more than that dress. This one that you that, that you like, you think is greater. I think that's a way to do it if it works. If you know how to, if if you can, it's it's a very gentle way of sharing your preference. You not doesn't need to be a criticism. Is what I'm trying to say. Or, but you know what? Everyone knows that there are different clothes that complement the person better. So, so when it comes to clothes, it's it's. But it, also, clothes is not a criticism. Okay, it's not a criticism because it's not it's not. But we're talking about how to compliment someone properly. Okay, the 100% your spouse does rely on your honesty. But does that mean that... Oh, but you can also say, you know, I really, really love you, but that's horrible. That doesn't either work. So you have to find a way. It's all in the delivery and it's all in the... In the more than delivery, it's the intention. It's the real intention. Even intention sometimes is not always, you know the uh the victor here so uh, but 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 here one, one second but that is the beauty of what we're talking about is that every single human being is different now if you tell me that i only know how to make three things in the kitchen okay okay one is not even the kitchen it's the barbecue grill which is outside okay so if you tell me listen your chicken soup is awful i i don't i'm, I'm not a chef i don't know how to make chicken soup okay so it's not an insult Right? I, I'm not, that's not where I'm invested. I'm not invested in that. Now, if someone were to tell me, Rabbi, your class was awful, worst class I've ever heard, I'd love to hear some feedback about that. Okay. Uh, I'd love, love to get some more notes on that. But the idea here is that there's a proper way for something to be said. There's a proper way. Now, I think that particularly with a husband and a wife, is that it doesn't have to be whether or not it's delicious. It has to be whether or not this is what your liking is. It could be delicious. I just, for, for example, like I don't eat eggplants. Okay, I don't like eggplants. So you can make the most delicious eggplant. I still don't like eggplants, right? So it's not a, it's not an issue of that you're a good chef or not a good chef. I, it's one of the things I don't eat. You understand? So it's like, so it, th- there's, there's. A difference between it being an offense to you versus being my liking. Now they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be um, a contradiction to one another. Okay. Either way. Okay. So again, so it says that if you know the person is going to accept, you have to rebuke them. If you know that they're not going to accept, you are not allowed to rebuke them. You're not allowed to rebuke them. And that's what the halacha says, and that's the Gemara in Yevamos 65b. Why? Because the verse says, do not rebuke a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. A wise person will appreciate and love rebuke, even if it's not presented nicely. Even if it's someone who, who do you think you are? Right? To tell me such a thing. You're a little child. What do you know? Still, a wise person will accept and love rebuke from everyone and anyone. Okay, let's do one more halacha here. It is forbidden for one to shame his fellow, whether in word or in deed, even in private, and certainly in public. As our sages of blessed memory said, one who humiliates his fellow in public has no portion in the world to come. 
Our sages of blessed memory said further, It is preferable for a person to cast himself into a fiery furnace rather than humiliate his fellow in public. As the verse states regarding Tamar, He mutseis, and she was taken out to be executed. She sent word to her father-in-law saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. Meaning, I became pregnant from the man. She didn't say, it's you. I would embarrass him in public. Shouldn't do that. Now, Tamar did not explicitly tell him, but only hinted, telling herself, if he admits, he will admit. But if not, she will not publicize his actions, even if she is executed as a result. Lefikach, therefore, a person must exercise extreme care not to shame his fellow in public, whether he is a minor or an adult. It doesn't make a difference who the person is. You're not allowed to embarrass or shame a person in public. Nor may he call him by a name of which he is ashamed. So if someone is embarrassed, you call him shorty, and you call them shorty, and you know that that's, or they have a name that they were teased by their older sibling about, and now you know that secret, and you call them by that name, and you're causing them pain, it's a biblical prohibition to do such a thing. You're not allowed to shame your fellow, or call them by a name that they are ashamed by. Nor relate before him a matter in which he is embarrassed. So you say, you remember when that happened to you? You remember when you did that? You remember when someone said that you, you, you're reminding them something that, that was uh, an embarrassing moment? You shouldn't do that. And if his fellow sinned against him and he must rebuke him, he must not humiliate him in the process. Why? As the verse states, after it says, you shall rebuke your fellow, it says, Lo sisa olav you shall reprove your fellow and do not bear sin because of him. Do not bear sin because of him. Don't add to the criticism extra pain, extra humiliation. When does this apply? Regarding a sin in matters that are between man and his fellow. But one who sinned in heavenly matters if he did not repent after being rebuked privately, he may humiliate him publicly and publicize his sin. And berate him to his face. We degrade and curse him until he returns to his proper path. As did all the prophets of the Jewish people. And this is not included in the prohibition of harming someone with words, which is onas dvorim, you're not allowed to do that. As we know, the Torah tells us, and a man shall not wrong his fellow. Our sages of blessed memory interpreted this. Amiso, what does that mean? Am she'itcha betorah uvemitzos, regarding a member of the nation 
with whom, who is with you in Torah and mitzvos, the Torah cautioned against wrongdoing him. However, regarding someone who transgresses and does not repent, after being admonished privately and in a soft-spoken spoken manner, such a person, you can go out and publicly rebuke them. We see the prophets did this. The prophets said, I don't know if it was to specific individuals. I can't remember specific individuals being called out. But the Jewish people were called out. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of times where the Jewish people were sinning for whatever sin that they were falling to. And the prophet would, would announce publicly that this was a grave sin that's being done and that they better repent or else God's going to strike them. So the Jewish people got to their senses and started repenting because otherwise they'd be stricken. And that's the idea. The idea is not to embarrass them. The idea is to manipulate whatever they can so that the person be inspired to repent. So if a person is doing something wrong in any area, the fact that they're doing something which is not the will of Hashem, meaning that they're cheating on their taxes, they're lying, they're stealing, they are cheating in business, such a person needs to be brought to their senses. And the Torah commands us to go and to tell them and to help them correct their ways. It's not always pleasant. It's not always easy. It's not easy. But we had, that's our responsibility to care for one another. And I think that that's the bottom line of everything we're talking about tonight. If you really care for someone else, you'll find the right way to do it. If you don't care about them, you can hurt them. And you can offend them. Because it's not about them, it's about you. I don't want this on my, on my uh, conscience, so I'm just going to say it the way it is. No, no, the, the, the Torah says you're not allowed to do that. It's not about you. It's about if you're here to help them, you're here to assist them, that's the obligation. And God willing, next week we'll, we are going to conclude this, this uh, halacha. My dear friends, have a great terrific, marvelous evening. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcasts.com.